Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green, and I'm your host. I want to um, welcome you to Advent. For some of you, you, you may not normally keep Advent, but uh, it's an old thing that the church has done for a very, very long time. Part of the church year. It begins the church year, in fact. Um, we celebrate this season of time by fasting in some ways. We fast in our music. We fast from certain kinds of songs. We don't sing the alleluias, and and we um, keep a different outlook during this season of time. Advent just means beginning, and it, all we're doing is looking forward to a new beginning, the coming again of Jesus Christ. And so in order to prepare ourselves to receive Him on what we celebrate as the day of his birth, December the 25th, then we we use this season of Advent to, to put within us a season of longing. But it's a time when we recognize we're waiting. We're waiting for the coming again of Jesus. But the waiting for the coming again of Jesus should not keep us completely from celebrating Christmas, celebrating the Advent, the coming of Jesus into the world the first time in order to save the world. And so here we are, and and we are indeed a world waiting, a world waiting for a new beginning in many, many ways, in a, a time when we have no earthly idea when that new beginning will be. For most of us, in the United States at least this week, and, and even around the world, we didn't, we're not moving towards a beginning we're moving backwards as far as this COVID stuff is concerned. We're moving in the other direction, not moving towards new beginnings, reopenings, uh, resumption of life. We're moving in the opposite direction. We're moving back in time. And that's a frustrating thing. It's very frustrating that we're not yet able to live our lives with freedom. We are uh, constrained from freedom at this moment in time. And so here we are. We're living in this time of, of doubt, great uncertainty, no earthly idea where we're going to go next or what's going to happen next or whether there's even going to be a next. Who knows? You know, as far as this whole thing is concerned, there's no way to know what people call the new normal. I hope and pray, I really do, that the new normal is just the old normal, that we don't make permanent adjustments to our way of lives, life like li- living behind a mask, living with without freedom to move about. I hate the fact that that's the case, and I hope that it ends very, very soon. <clears throat> We've had enough taken from us, and so we need a new world is the reality. We have wrecked this old world, and this virus is the the beginning, in my mind, of a time when we do worse and worse damage. We ban things like chemical warfare, but at the same time, we allow research for nefarious purposes in many instances. Um, so we ban certain kinds of gross things, but then other things we allow. And that's the problem with what has become a scientific era and a scientific age, an age dominated, in fact, by science. And and the problem is is that science without ethics is the scariest thing in the world. A, a science that only asks, is it possible, rather than should we, is a science that has great power to destroy the world. And if you want to see what that looks like, that's, there's, there are two competing visions, right, for um, 
for the dystopian world that people fear is to come. Those two vi different visions are 1984 and um, Brave New World. There's more than that, but those are the two basic ones. And, and one of those is a, a world ruled by information. It's ruled by fake news, actually. Made-up news, news that changes all the time, news that changes to fit the current circumstance in the world. So alignments between countries or continents, really, um, are now described as we have always been at war with this other place, even though yesterday we were allies with that other place. And it's through the spread of disinformation that everyone's kept off balance. No one knows what truth is. That's the problem. It's a world without truth. That's 1984. And then the competing vision for that was Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, and, and Brave New World is a, is a world controlled by science. We control people by giving them uh, psychotropic drugs to blunt their emotions, to, to make sure that they don't have desires that that might control them in ways we don't want them to be controlled by their desires. And so we have a people subjugated by the use of psychotropic drugs. In that case, it's called soma. And so I believe that what we have is actually the confluence of those two things. And, and we end up with a, a technocracy that controls the world that it calls itself science. And then we end up with um, control over information as well. And we've got both those going on at the same time. So it's it's um, not a good place for us to be. And we, the church, need to be the purveyors of truth to the world. We need to be very clear with the world about the truth about the world. And, and that is, is that it is under the dominion, although not yet visibly so, of the one who created all things. And then that dominion was given to, to vice regents, essentially, to, to emissaries called us, human beings, um, who were created in the image of God and given and endowed with not just gifts from our Creator, but also um, the gifts necessary to carry out His will for the world. But, but it means one thing, and that means that there's a people subjugated to Him by choice. In order to have freedom in this world, we are no longer under the rulership of other human beings in an ultimate sense, in any shape, form, or fashion. We are under the rulership of the one who created all things, who sustains all things, who has sent his son into the world in order to redeem all things. And so we are called to be under his rulership. And this is a time, definitely, in this world when we see authoritarian use of power. And what we have to do as Christians is to decry that authoritarian use of power. And we have to question that. And we have to submit ourselves more fully unto the one who does not use his power, which is greater than anything we can ever begin to imagine. We don't bow the knee because he threatens us, we bow the knee because he loved us enough to take on flesh and die for us. So we live under the benevolent rulership of God. And that's who we're called to be. And so what we're called to do during this season of Advent, the call on our lives, is to pray more fervently the Lord's Prayer, particularly the part where 
we bid his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. His will be done. Those two things, we are to acknowledge him first as Father, who's in heaven, hallow his name, and then bid his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because we are aware, acutely aware, of the tyranny of human leadership, human rulership. We live under a great tyranny right now, and we have to open our eyes to that. We have to open our hearts to that. We don't need to make that political. We need to understand that the political is always power, and it's always a will to power. I don't care who's wielding that power, but there, there's a desire to remain in control once you gain it, to never relinquish it. God tells us the way he rules over us is like a father with his children. And that's the point that, that um, Paul makes in the epistle reading today from 1 Corinthians 1, 3 to 9, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Paul's reminding them that, that they, are, they have been transferred from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, into the kingdom of God. And that kingdom, he says here, is an eternal kingdom. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the day of our Lord Jesus Christ is the coming again in judgment on the world. There is judgment on the world. This world and those who live in it, those who <clears throat> bear his name, bear his image too, will be judged for what we've done. And who we are. We who are in Christ Jesus escape that judgment, the final judgment, because we plead the blood of Jesus. We plead his innocence, not our own, but we plead his innocence because he gave us his name. The Lord saves. He gave us that name that we might be in him and we might be spared in the day of that judgment, even though we know that, that in our person, in our being, we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's only in Christ Jesus that we have hope, but it's in Christ Jesus we have hope because he was resurrected from the dead. So we can believe not only in the resurrection of the dead, but we can believe in the promise of the one who has been resurrected from the dead, that we will be resurrected with him and we will live with him forever. It's a great promise. Remember that nobody else that you might consider to be a savior, nobody else that you might consider to be a, an important ruler even, died for you. Not a single one. And even if they did, unless they were resurrected, you shouldn't follow them. Jesus was, however, and because of that, because of his love for his people and his love for the church, Paul speaks of grace, that they were enriched in speech and knowledge, they don't lack in any gift, and he will sustain them to the end, guiltless 
in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking for something very specific. You know, we can look forward to all manner of things in our lives, right? We can look forward to uh, going somewhere, meeting someone. You don't have to look forward with, with joy. Sometimes you can look forward to things with dread. But, but those things are uncertainties to us. And so, but what we always do whenever we have something we're looking forward to, we prepare ourselves in heart and mind at some level, don't we? And we, we take steps and actions to look forward to those things. If, if my uh, family were coming to visit, for instance, we'd, we'd clean the house up a little bit. We'd, we'd do some things to prepare it so that when they came, it would be something that was really acceptable to them. We'd, we'd put on a little bit of a show. We'd probably make some food. We'd do some things that, to welcome them into our home. When I get ready to go to the doctor, there are certain things that I do before I go to the doctor, right? When I go to the gym, I make certain preparations. When I do everything in my life, I make certain preparations for it because I'm looking forward to it at some level, whether I'm looking forward to it with anxiety or, or, or great you know, joyous anticipation. Both those things require me to prepare for those. And so... Advent is a time of preparation because it's a time of looking forward to, but we look forward to it not passively. We look forward to it actively. We plead for the coming of the kingdom. Jesus taught the disciples and therefore us to pray with that in mind, praying for the coming of God's kingdom. And so, so we prepare our hearts, we prepare our minds, and we do so by worship. We do so by immersing ourselves in the word of God speaking to friends about him, sharing him with others in the world, but then reaching the world in his name as we looked at last week in that whole Matthew 25 passage where, where he separates sheep and goats but based on what they did with what they had. So did they spread the love of Christ abroad in tangible ways? And so, so we're called to prepare and that preparation is not just mental, and that's what Jesus says. He, he speaks to, um, in the gospel, which is in Mark 13, 24 to 37, in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Sounds a whole lot like stuff John talks about in the book of the Revelation, actually. And then they'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he'll send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves. You know summer's near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, not even Jesus, he says, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you don't know when the time has come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Be prepared. Be on the lookout. Be, be prepared for him to show up at any given time. And so that part of that preparation, the, the servants aren't just hanging around. It's just they, they each have their own work. 
And so you've got your work to do. I have my work to do. And that work is always about building and spreading His kingdom across this earth. It goes back to the beginning. It goes back to Genesis when they were commanded to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's the same command given to Christians, right? Go and make disciples. It's the same thing. Be fruitful and multiply. We're, we're called to multiplication. We're provided the gifts necessary to do that, and we have the greatest message the world could ever imagine of a greater ruler than, than it could ever even conceive of. It's a story better than any story that could be told, and it has the benefit, even then, of being a true story. You know, Jordan Peterson, who's a psychologist up in Canada who has become a huge sensation, you know, it, it, Peterson's great. I really like Jordan Peterson a lot. I like the things that he does. I've listened to some of his lectures on the Bible that he gives. And what he says about the Bible is is that, that the thing that he likes is, is basically if you pick the, the main stories that organize the lives of people all across the world, they, they could fit into a few categories, actually. And what he says is, is that the Bible has actually done a remarkable job being the best, at telling those stories. And that's why the Bible is important to Jordan Peterson, unless something different happens that I don't know about. But, but he considers the Bible to be a great book of stories because it tells all the organizing principle stories that humankind has ever come up with, and, and the dying and rising God being one of them, the central organizing story. And... and you know, it, it's not a collection of stories. It is at some level, but the, the incredible thing is is that there, it, what it should point to, it should point to the fact that, that the longings of people's hearts all over the world are encapsulated in precious few myths or stories. And the Bible tells the best ones not because its authors were the best storytellers, but because they were telling the best story. They were telling God's story. They were telling a true story of true things that happened. What it does is tell you that everything you could ever want, everything you ever hoped for, the best things you could conceive based on the way the world is, are true. There's a reason those longings are in your heart and that those longings are shared universally by all humankind. It's because God put those desires there. He wants us to see the world for what it is. And he wants us to long for what can be. And then he promises it will. He promises it over and over again in the miracles that he does in order to save his people, to protect his people, and to bless his people in the Old Testament. In spite of the fact that they're wayward people, as we're going to see in this Isaiah passage that we have to deal with that I'm going to work with last. It's that in spite of our own failings, in spite of our own inability to be faithful to him, he is always faithful to us and we can count on him being faithful. That's part of our prayer life, is the ability to count on a God who is faithful because he has proven himself faithful again and again. And so the longing of man's heart is there is one in the universe who is faithful and that one can recapitulate all things and make things the way they ought to be, because we all have a sense of how things ought to be. And if we're honest, we know that the reason things aren't as they ought to be is at least partially due to us as individuals, because we're not who we ought to be 
And some days we're acutely aware of it. Other times we think of ourselves as pretty good. But you know what? Pretty good is actually the problem with the world. One degree off center is enough to mess up everything. And so here we go into this place. But So I believe Jordan Peterson's right. These are the best stories, and they are the best stories that capture all the longings of the human heart. But they have the benefit of being true. There's a reason those stories line up with those universal longings. Because he created us. He created us in his image. And then he taught us to pray that we would be given the desires of our hearts. And what that means is in Psalm 37. And what that means is is that, that God would align the desires of our hearts with exactly the good things he wants to give us. And so when we start this longing for the coming of Christ, what we have to also recognize in there is is that, that the world is at least partially wrong because of me. And there are two responses to that, right? I mean, the two responses are to confess that. But the second and the most important response to that is to realign my life. It's called repentance, to turn away from those things that keep me from being aimed directly at the center of God's heart. And to change those things in our lives that are not pleasing to Him and we know shouldn't be pleasing to us either. So Advent is a time of realignment. But the first realignment that has to happen is what does it look like in God's kingdom? What does it look like when He sets things to rights? Because if we can begin to see that way, we can begin to see what it looks like in God's kingdom, what it looks like when He is king then we can begin to realign our lives to be a part of that and to rejoice in that part of the coming of his kingdom and not to rejoice in works of darkness, but to rejoice in the light as we begin to move ourselves into alignment with him and his purposes for the world. And then we can joyfully, worshipfully greet him when he comes in the clouds to gather his elect from the four winds. So let's finish this up by looking at this Isaiah passage, which is Isaiah 64, 1-9. to He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, which he promised he would do, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things... That we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. For of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we've been a long time. And shall we be saved We have all become like one who's unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There's no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you've hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. That's a powerful image right there. You've made us melt in the hand of our iniquities because you're not rescuing us, and we're stuck there. But now, O Lord, you're our Father. 
We're the clay and you're the potter. We're the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. It's the plea of the nation to be delivered from the bondage that they're in due to their own sin and iniquities, which put them in exile. It's an exile community that has now been there a long, long time. And the plea is, Lord, fix and change the world. It's the plea of all those who recognize that they're in some sort of bondage. All those whose lives are, are they feel trapped in their lives one way or another, whether it's in an addiction, whether it's um, unemployment, whether it's whatever it is. If there's any place in life where we feel stuck and we're not reaching our full potential, we're suffering in any way, that's our plea, right? Lord, it's not right. I can't bear this any longer. I recognize at some level that this is due to my own fault. How long, Lord, how long will we wait? In our sins, we've been a long time. And shall we be saved? Please look, we are all your people. That it's the personification of God. It's the belief in a, in a sentient, thinking, rational being who sees all things and can set all things right. It's belief in that being because there's a history with that being. There's a history that may not be their personal history, but there's a history that they can see in the Word of God and the community around them, the church in our instance, or the people of Israel in their instance, that perseveres down through the millennia. And there's only one reason for that perseverance. It's God Himself who answers prayer, who has a vested interest in the survival, perseverance, and blessedness of those who we call elect and so we have a history with him therefore we have a belief because it's historic fact what he's done and it's easy to see when you think about the perseverance of that and so what we look for and what we plead for is exactly what we have which is a messiah whose name means Lord, save us. That's our cry and our plea is, Lord, save us. And it's a plea we know he answers because he has answered it multiple times throughout history. We know also because he said it that he was the goal of creation. In other words, when God created all things, the goal of creation, the blueprint was, I'll send my son. I'll send a Messiah. Well, you don't need a Messiah unless you live in a mess. And so we live in a mess. Whether we recognize it in our own personal lives or not, we live in a mess of a world, a world that has fallen, busted, and broken, a world in which people suffer unjustly, a world in which people profit and prosper unjustly as well. And so the world in a mess needs a Messiah. And so our preparation for Advent is to prepare ourselves again for the coming of Jesus Christ, for the coming again of Jesus Christ. But that coming again, that hope and plea for him to come, 
doesn't keep us from celebrating that he has come. That he came in the form of a little child on a mission to save the world. And so we're not disappointed if our prayers for the coming again aren't answered. It gives us an opportunity to celebrate again what he has done in coming into the world. And it begins to be a time when we can renew our commitment to him and to his kingdom. It allows us to get out from under all the other kings that attempt to have claims over our lives, whether those are people or things. It allows us to dedicate ourselves once again to the one who came and who died for us. You've been listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. Thanks for being here today. If you want to connect, there's that little Facebook link over there, and you can connect through that. And I look forward to hearing from you, and I pray that you have a blessed week and that, that you begin to bring yourself into true alignment with God's truth. Take care.